Hello in TV land. <clears throat> uh, so uh, this is Paul, and uh, today we have a really great guest on, uh, Jacob Cook, at Peak Winter on uh, Twitter uh, and other places, other venues. Uh, and he is the lead uh, of the ArcOS project and Citizen Web projects. Um, we unfortunately, due to a recording glitch on my end, missed uh, a little bit of his introduction there. So uh, we're going to jump right into the conversation. Fortunately, I only missed a tiny little chunk of it, but it was the important chunk where Jacob tells you who he is. Uh, so now you know, uh, hashtag ArcOS and uh, Raspberry Pi and uh, Citizen Web and uh, other stuff. So give it a listen. Bye. Enjoy your burrito. So if I use this uh, ArcOS that you speak of and I somehow push the wrong button, does my face melt? Or <laughs> there, there is, There's no face melting. And one of the things that we're trying to do is not only have no face melting, but also have no accidental data sharing that you don't want to have shared. So with ArcOS... It, it, it's really easy to have a server that hosts your data, whether it's files, emails, social networking, um, your calendar, your contacts, anything. We try to make it as easy as possible to host that data yourself. Whereas if you were trying to do it without ArcOS, in you know most circumstances, it would be very difficult for you to do. You'd have to have a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of knowledge, a ton of geekery in order to figure out how to do all that stuff. But we try to make it as easy as possible, just as if you're using an iPhone or an Android phone. Um, as easy it is to use a smartphone nowadays, we believe it should be it, just as easy to use um, a personal server. Great, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we talk about ArcOS a lot on the podcast because mm -hmm. we both uh, have actually given to the program and both have been playing with it. So uh, we're excited to have you on and talk more about it. Yeah. To, to nauseam for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'd also like to point out briefly that I'm putting the Montreal in Montreal sauce tonight as I'm actually calling you from Montreal this evening. That's, yes. I, you know, I think you are actually the first uh, guest or person in general, <laughs> guest whether that be host or guest that uh, is actually from or, or in Montreal, uh, especially at the time of the recording. So. Yes. That's We're amazing. <laughs> this is so meta. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, so, uh, I'm a. Do you, Jacob? Do you? This is kind of a little bit off subject, but it's something that sort of happened earlier this uh, week, or maybe it was last week. But do you use uh, Tor or go to Linux Journal? Mm -hmm. um, I do use Tor. I don't go to Linux Journal as much as I used to, simply because, well. I try to broaden my news sources a bit with all the all the different sources that there are out there. But yes, I do use Tor on a regular basis. Ah, uh, so so great. That just means like Montreal's uh, traffic just increased a lot because the NSA is listening. So. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that we're using Skype right now is is also a, is also a tip off. <laughs> oh, was that another thing that the NSA has decided to monitor? Yeah, I um, there have been you know a few stories in the recent past, especially with the Snowden revelations about um, things like Prism and stuff having access to Skype data and so on. It's going to be it's going to be more and more difficult to to find a medium to communicate with people that doesn't necessarily involve you know wide open data collection, which is 
kind of unfortunate. Yeah, so, I was going to ask you if um, if there would be if there is an alternative that we uh, would look at using for um, this kind of thing where it's, I mean, for me, it's just, uh, I direct dial to both of you and then I have a mixer on my end that kind of brings mm-hmm. things together. So it actually would be kind of entertaining to listen to one of the two lines and not get the other one. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, we're broadcasting live, so. <laughs> you can just block out Chris. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. But um, the cool thing is that over the past couple of years, even just over the past year alone, there's been a lot of development and a lot of improvement to a uh, system called WebRTC, which is it, it's basically a direct connection between you and the people who are, you are speaking with through your browser window. So, for example, if you use Firefox or Chrome or something like that, which you know 80% of the population does or something like that, um, you go to a website that acts as a bridge or a relay between the different people you want to talk to um and it comes all of the you know the video decoding and so on that's all done live in your browser window so it's super easy to use it doesn't require a middleman that actually has access to um you know the video or audio streams that you're doing um and a good website to start out with webrtc is called talky talky.io t-a-l-k-y and um, we've actually used that within the Citizen Web Project for our executive meetings and such for a while now. Um, and uh, it's getting better all the time. It's not flawless like you know, Skype or Google, uh, Google Hangouts might be at this point. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's getting better all the time. And like I said before, it doesn't require a middleman. And it's using the latest technology. And it's, it's really slick. I'm really impressed with it so far. And you can use any browser, I presume. So, like you said, because uh, yeah, Google... you can use you can use Firefox, you can use Chrome. I don't know about the compatibility with Internet Explorer or Opera quite yet, but I mean, with all of with all of the things that have been introduced lately, IE and Opera, you know, catch up eventually. So, I wouldn't be surprised if if it's not supported now, it will be soon. It's true. Yeah, just I mean, Google just announced, and everyone was going crazy on social media that they're no longer supporting any other browsers for Hangouts. <laughs> Except really? Chrome, yeah, oh, it's kind of like a, a yeah. what? How do I say it gracefully? A bitch move, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's one of the things that's kind of unfortunate with Google is, you know, if you'll permit me to get onto a soapbox for a moment, um, you know, the more and more things that they introduce, the cool things that they're doing, the more and more they slowly kind of bring in the edges of their system and cut it off from any other platform that you might want to use it with. So, I mean, you have the, the whole Google Reader debacle a while back is they stopped you know, offering their Google Reader RSS service, which is great, but then you have no um, service that you can really use RSS or news feeds with so that you can pull in different contents from different blogs and different um, newspapers and so on to the same source. And then you have the fact that Google Talk is no longer being able to be used with XMPP, which is a very popular chat protocol. So, you know, the little chat window that you have in your Gmail, um, in the corner of your Gmail window or your Google Plus window, you can't use that to talk to people on different XMPP networks anymore. And it's just a really troubling trend of them closing off their systems and wanting to be, you know, the place where everyone goes at the cost of, the freedom of you being able to use whatever you want to use, which, you know. It's very scary. I mean, I always joke, like, uh, about uh, Facebook. I always say it's, like, pretty much AOL, 
like everyone's going back to AOL, but now exactly. Google's starting to make that feel where it's just like, oh, this isn't really the internet. This is America Online. Exactly. And I, I mean, I, I face that kind of same dilemma with, um, well, this is, this is sort of a different subject, but I, I, I purchased a new smartphone a couple of weeks ago. And so if you have a phone, the two you know, major contenders are Apple, which makes iOS, and then you have Google, which makes the Android operating system, and then you know all the device manufacturers that make Android phones. And so those are the two big things. You also have BlackBerry, but you know, who cares about BlackBerry nowadays? <laughs> um, but it really makes it difficult if you want to try an outlying phone. For example, there's Firefox OS phones or Yala phones, which is what I've uh, invested in recently. But um, if those if those phones by different manufacturers that don't necessarily want to buy into the data ecosystem of Google, which has lots of implications, which I can explain later if, if it's important. Um, but if you have a manufacturer that doesn't want to buy into that but still wants to use that OS, then it's really difficult and you're basically screwed. And you'll get access to very few applications, very low-quality applications in most cases, um, if you just want to use an operating system that doesn't spy on you. And it's, it's, getting, to be, it's getting to be worse and worse. It's, once the smartphone kind of got invented, it was like this golden age of, hey, here's all, all of these cool things that I can do with my phone. Um, but now we're really, really going backwards, not just on you know, the smartphones, like I mentioned, but on the computer, on the desktop. We're going backwards, and that's not something that anyone really wants to see. Yeah, I was actually um, going to ask you, you know, as uh, someone who advocates for privacy and mm-hmm. uh, like, like what kind of smartphone you would use, or if you just mm-hmm. use like encrypted smoke signals, because yeah. <laughs> there there isn't much of a choice out there. I like that the smoke signals are encrypted somehow. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, let me ponder all the ways in which that's possible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that makes total sense. I mean, I before the, last, the past year I've been using a Firefox OS phone. And that's not necessarily because of you know, privacy concern. It's just because it's a new thing. It's an, a shiny new object and I wanted to try it out. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just pretty happy with it, and it seemed to be going well. But then, you know, I decided to switch to the Yala phone, and, and, and that's cool, too. It's, it's another operating system that's not necessarily controlled by Apple or Google, uh, and that's great. But, I mean, 99% of the population doesn't have access to any of these things. Even 99% of the population that's, um, you know, that has the means to afford a smartphone. They don't have access to operating systems that don't spy on them. So you're basically just constrained to using Replicant, which is um, a free software fork, kind of, of Android that's, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of here and there in its bugginess, but it's getting better. Um, or you can go to one of these outliers, but then again, it's, that's pretty significantly expensive. It's not available through, you know, AT&T or Rogers or whoever you're using. Um, so yeah, it's it's really difficult, and like I said, it's it's not necessarily getting better at the moment. No, it, it's uh, kind of a, a mess at the moment. I, I mean, even the, I was kind of intrigued when they announced the black phone, and I was like, I really would dig that. I'd like to try that. And then yes. when I was reading their press release, they're like, 
Yeah, we've you know got our own version, our own fork of Android that we're working on to protect your privacy. We call it Privacy OS, and hopefully after we release the phone, we're going to release the OS for people to play with. And yep. they've released the phone, but I have not seen the OS to even try to install, just to fool around with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen Black Phone, and it's um, Black Phone is made by. I think it's a joint venture between the people who make Geeks Phone, which are in a lot of the Firefox OS stuff, right. um, a company based out of Spain. And then you have Silent Circle, which is, um, I have never used the application, but I've heard a lot of mixed things about it as far as how its code is open source or lack thereof and so on. Um, so I was I was a bit hesitant to try the Black Phone. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, bad or I have a negative opinion of it. It's just I don't I don't know enough about it to comment. Um, plus, I, I, I generally have a um, hesitant opinion towards people who make something and try to say that it's um, NSA-proof. Not necessarily that Blackphone said that. I'm just <laughs> saying that I get that impression from the publicity materials that I've seen from it, is that they're trying to say that you know this is something that you should use um, if you want to you know, deal drugs in South America and you don't want to. <laughs> You don't want the U.S. authorities, you know, keeping track. <laughs> I mean, nobody should be able to make that kind of claim reasonably because there's always bugs that are going to happen. There's always security problems that are going to come up, and you really have to be careful with it, creating that kind of image around your your uh, your project. And so, it's for those reasons that I've tried not to create that image around ArcOS. So I hope I haven't failed at that. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like a slippery soap. It's like you know, mm-hmm. it's like inviting trouble too it's like i'm gonna buy a lamborghini that doesn't mean that um, yeah. i'm ever gonna be profiled for speeding ever ever exactly <laughs> you know? yeah and there was a there was an application a chat application not too far back i think it's actually still pretty popular now it's called telegram and they were doing something like they were just launching their product and i remember that they were making like a bunch of different outlandish claims about their cryptography that their project uses and then a lot of people said, "Oh, okay, challenge accepted." And then they <laughs> took a bunch of look, they you know took a in depth look at it and said, "Okay, this is wrong. This is wrong. Why aren't you you know open sourcing this? Or why are you home rolling this instead of using a um, an implementation that's already been verified to work properly?" And it's just this huge PR mess. So I mean, doing things like that seems to me usually to be more trouble than it's worth. So when I see a smartphone manufacturer doing it, it, it um, or a chat application or whatever, it kind of raises some red flags. So what you've done uh, with ArcOS has been pretty uh, pretty cool. Um, I've been impressed by it thus far. But, um, Thank you. I, I was just thinking, like, uh, probably a good question for Paul beside yourself as well, but uh, there's sort of this uh, stereotype that maybe um, programmers or developers and maybe sometimes even creatives uh, don't know how to talk to the customer and can't relate to users. And, you know, yet when I worked with Paul at the agency, um, he was often in client meetings, and, um, you know, he's a people person. And ArcOS seems to be very successful at uh, being easy to use for, like, a, you know, an everyday user, someone who's not uh, well-equipped to make their own server. So um, uh, do you think uh, that's stereotype is maybe dead these days or are just you two guys like heroes <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of myself as a hero um, but no I think it's I think it's dying a very slow but necessary death 
to answer your question. It's there's so much of a huge emphasis in sort of the you know developer mainstream, I guess you'd call it, of making awesome things that either they work really well for developers or they work not so well for developers, but they don't really work well or not so well for individual users. So people can't even break into that stream of being able to use these new cool things that are developed until a very long time after they're built. So, I mean, Tor has made amazing strides in how easy it is to use. It's still not where it needs to be, but it's still a heck of a lot easier than it used to be. Um, But I could probably count on one hand the number of privacy utilities that people should be using that they can use because you know it's been easy enough made easy enough for them to use. And so when we were developing ArcOS, when I was developing ArcOS, um that was one of the things that I first realized is that okay, yes, with all of the knowledge and expertise that I have, which you know is somewhat limited, but it's more than the general population, right? Um with all of that, I can um, host all of my information at home if I wanted to. It takes a huge amount of time um, and a decent amount of effort, but I can do it. This is way out of the league of any normal person. Why is that? Does it have to be that way? And these are the questions that developers should be asking themselves. Is, is the thing that I'm making, you know, I can put in the GitHub repository, you know, just install it via Py- install Python and then do this and then do that, and this seems very easy to someone like me. <laughs> but you've lost... Everyone else at the word Python, they have no idea what the hell that means, right? So we need to really understand that just because it seems easy for us doesn't mean it's easy for anyone else. Um, And if we really want something to catch on and to make a difference, then it has to be for everyone else and not just the 0.05% of the population that knows how to set up a virtual environment with Python or something like that. I think I think uh, um, maybe I just stumbled onto a great April April Fool's Day prank for ArcOS. That's when you post that um, on the ArcOS blog that you will no longer be supporting Python because you know ArcOS <laughs> is like Indiana Jones, and Indiana Jones <laughs> hates snakes. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there we go. Sorry to interrupt you, Paul. What were you going to oh, say? Oh, no worries. No worries. <laughs> and my, that was a horrible joke, and it wasn't worth it. So you go ahead. I, I think I was just going to say um, there is a little bit of a – I think there's still a little bit of a uh, a culture um, – Not nece- it's not necessarily aligned with, like, the programmer programmer. It, actually, mm-hmm. maybe it's more um, – the folks who you envision them being, you know, the pimply nerd sitting with a green screen in front of them and they don't talk to anybody. And, and, um, there, I think we perpetuate that stereotype and we cast it. Sometimes we cast it onto ourselves a little bit. Um, but as technology has evolved and the community around technology has evolved, uh, I think we've also started to see a lot more role models of people um, who are good programmers or great um, computer engineers and computer scientists who also um, maybe get into the public spotlight a little bit and they are, are obviously very good people 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 and uh, they speak eloquently and they're very intelligent and yet they're not um, 
<laughs> they're they're not Nick Burns, the uh, company computer guy, telling people to like move, get out of the way. <laughs> you can't configure the printer, you know. Uh, and that's just we don't we don't need to be that way. And I think as we get more role models and we start to learn that we've pushed ourselves into a stereotype, we can break back out of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think that that is a good thing for us. Um, at the agency that you mentioned uh, that we both worked at, uh, that I still work at, <laughs> I'm announcing my retirement now. Um, <laughs> uh, I like to think that uh, all of the programmers um, are pretty good at uh, being in a client meeting and conversing with people who are uh, not just the folks who are in marketing who are trying to tell you these are the kinds of features I need, but also the end users who are out there trying to use the websites that we build or the apps that we build and trying to relate to them so that we can build a better product for them, uh, but also so that they can't um, – we're trying to build things that they're not, um, they're not going to break – uh, at which means we have to put the challenge on ourselves to make it simple enough to use. And that's, I think, you know, definitely a feeling that you get when you're using ArcOS as well, is that um, you've taken the complicated decisions and, you know, dot connecting that you have to do on the command line, and you've made that into either user interface elements or ideally you've just made the default smart enough that I, that I don't have to make those decisions and know how to connect the SSL service with the, you know, Jekyll install so that I have a SSL encrypted blog. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that, that um, I totally agree. And that kind of goes with another thing that I just thought of, which is, so many people in you know nerd circles, I guess that's the most eloquent way I can say it, even though it doesn't sound very <laughs> eloquent at all. Yeah. Um, we all say, especially after the Snow Revelations, we're like, okay, well, why would anyone want to use this service in the first place? Everyone knows that if you use, you know, X VoIP application or Y email service, that everyone's going to spy on you. And so, why would anyone in their right mind use that? Well, you need to look at the fact that. It's because this service is so easy to use in the first place, and there's no open source, user friendly alternative. Yes. Right. Um, so, the reason why you know so many of these, there are so many open source um, server applications that can be used to replace any number of services that anyone uses on the internet on a day to day basis. The reason why they're not in widespread use is because they are not user friendly enough, and they cannot compete with Google or with you know, in Facebook or whatever, um, on the user experience level. So once we have applications that can start to compete with Google and whatever on the um, user experience level, then we'll start to see adoption because then you'll the only um, drawback you'll see is going to be on the Google side because people say, okay, well, it's just as easy to use as um, Google Docs or whatever it might be. Um, but the drawback is now on Google's side because I know that Google is spying on me, you know, figuratively. Um, so that takes away the only real impediment for people to to switch to open source um, server applications, operating systems, what have you. So that's, that's what we're trying to do with ArcOS. That's what a lot of people have, um, are continuing to work on now, especially with uh, services out there now like OwnCloud, which replaces, you know, it's kind of like a Dropbox replacement slash 
um, Google Calendar replacement slash um, Google Docs replacement, whatever. But um, it's just an example of here's the thing that we have now that it is actually really well designed and actually works really well and is really intuitive. And it's getting a, a crazy amount of uptake. People are realizing that this is something that they can actually use instead of having to rely on the services that spy on them. So the more things that we have, like own cloud and ArcOS, dare I say, um, the more um, the the better impact that this kind of thing will have, and the less governments and marketing companies will be able to say, "Oh, look, we'll just tap into this system and we'll get whatever we need." You're you're right because I think that's the only way that those those people like Google and large companies are going to listen to consumers is if they start to leave in droves to use yeah. like a competitor. Um, yeah, I exactly. Think- I mean, there's no there's no competition. Your competition is X company that spies on you or Y company that spies on you. I mean, that's no kind of, that's not a competition as far as I'm concerned, right? So in the open source developer community, we really need to be competing with these companies on all levels, design, um, usability, security, privacy, everything. And we can, you know, with the modern, you know, um, interface toolkits like Bootstrap and, uh, foundation and everything like that i mean it's really really it's it's easier to create a a user interface now than ever before so there's no reason why we shouldn't be at least trying to compete with these large companies because we can one guy in his basement can create a service that competes with you know 300 google engineers it's crazy to think about that but now it's possible and we should really be striving for that yeah it's uh it just made me think of something that's probably completely baseless and untrue but i heard this and it's a rumor rumors with chris um (laughs) (laughs) but uh one of my uh friends when i uh used to work with um his father was really big um he worked for the phone company so he knew all kinds of like great crazy tricks you know that these old guys like captain crunch could do (laughs) and uh so so he's like old school and um when I bought my first CD burner I did it with their help because they knew what brand I should get and whatever and you know back in these many many years ago <laughs> the CD burner was like I paid like I think my first three CD burner I paid like $322 for and so when I bought it you know I was you know make sure I get like a good one and you know it this thing goes like 4x can you believe it so um but his dad had told me that when the first couple cd burner company like when the first ones came out on the market um some companies like i would assume microsoft but i shouldn't name names because this is complete rumor but some companies had influenced these uh, manufacturers and on the chip inside the cd burner they put something to kind of look for some sort of code to see if this disk was copyright. And if it was, it would finish the job at 4X, so depending on what you were burning, like a half hour. (laughs) And um, it would finish the job, and then it would burn a line across the whole CD and make it useless. And and he said basically people were paying $300, $400 for these things, and they couldn't use them because they were copying things that maybe they shouldn't. And the yeah. manufacturers were like, okay, we're not going to sell any more of these if we don't get rid of that code, <laughs> you know? So, and I mean, and you look around nowadays and 
you can often see legitimate companies manufacturing DVD players that play all regions instead of restricting you to one region that you're in. So, I mean, it does make a difference when people sort of stand up and purchase things that they want rather than just what's in front of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a black market, right? And when you have a black market in that sense, it, you know, obviously becomes more and more popular, especially if it's selling things that aren't accessible otherwise. And the same thing goes for if you have open source software and open source platforms or you have you know, DRM-free videos or music and, and so on. I mean, people are just going to gravitate to things like that. And the more that, pe- more that companies realize that fencing people in like that against their will is counterintuitive to what they really want to do. Because, I mean, I don't know... I'm, I'm speaking on a pu- purely personal basis here, but I imagine that it's uh, it's the same for for others because I've heard as much. But I buy more music and more movies and more TV shows and so on that I can choose my price for and set my price for than any other kind of media. More things that come DRM free than any other kind of media because I know that those manufacturers or um, publishers or whatever you want to call them they respected my my rights as a consumer enough to say okay here I'm going to offer you this but I'm not going to necessarily create so many kinds of locks and perverse ways that you have to access it that it makes it impossible to enjoy I remember you know, maybe a few years ago, having to buy things that I had to use Real Player with. I'm like, Real Player? What in the oh. hell is that? It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst kind of you know convoluted piece of software that you could ever use. That was obviously the only format that the video would export to. So you know, I was screwed, and I had to use that. But I mean, it it just makes no sense. And in an, in an era where we have more possibilities to enjoy more things in more ways than we did before, why are companies being allowed to give us things that only work with one system. You know, it's not creating more freedom and more possibility for people. It's creating the illusion of entertainment in a very restrictive way. And that's that's not fair. And it's the same if we're talking about media, if we're talking about music, movies, books, video games, etc. And it's the same if we're talking about uh, operating systems, software, and so on. It's all the same. Yeah, and uh, you just basically, you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you came to listen to the show because uh, Jacob had tweeted he wanted to talk Star Wars, he just did right there. He did the <laughs> clerk's Death Star <laughs> argument right there. It doesn't matter Precisely. that the Rebels blew up the Death Star with contractors on it. Those contractors knew what they were getting into when they took that job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My Death Star is real player. My Death Star is is Microsoft. I like it. That's a that's a that's an ArcWest shirt right there. My Death Star is Google Drive. Exactly. That's you know that's the one thing I don't really understand. Like uh, I every time I wake up, I'm like, was I just dreaming that? Because I feel, and I'm sure it's. Uh, prevalent in many software companies and I just don't realize it because I don't understand a lot of the stuff in the background but it it just blows my mind because I see Google kind of getting to where they are in other things besides search because of open source I mean Android's success is because they made it and they said it's open 
anyone have at it. And then to like take all of their apps like Gmail and Calendar and all of them and like say, okay, these aren't open source anymore, sorry, and close them. I'm like, what are you doing? Like this has been your bread and butter. This is how you've gotten to be like the Google. And now you're closing everything down. It's really confusing to me. Yeah, I mean it's that that kind of thing is one of the reasons why we've tried to make ArcOS sort of on a organizational level the way that we've tried to make it is because we've seen so many other free software projects um, sell out to other companies and it doesn't necessarily just have to be open source projects it can be you know a closed source project that was really popular before it was run by some guy in his basement that really loved what he was doing and then Google offered him a seven figure salary if they wanted to buy it um, and you know do whatever they wanted with it and he accepted because hey money um, and that's great but that's becoming the the trend, and people who do otherwise are becoming the exception. People who actually stick with their projects and run with it, stick with their popular projects and run with it, they're becoming the exception. And that's kind of unfortunate. And it's not just Google. It's um, any large company or you know, large venture capital firm that sees something and wants to try to take a profit from it. And so when coming up with the organizational structure for ArcOS and for the Citizen Web Project, we've spent a lot of time and effort on saying to ourselves, how can we make it so that we can't sell out even if we wanted to? Even if we got hit in the head with a rock someday and lost all of our values, what can we do so that our users will always have a say over the things that are being done with what they use and to me, that just seems paramount. It just seems common sense. Yeah, that's uh, you totally. I was following you all the way, even though slightly my brain was like, I wonder if Jacob watches Silicon Valley, because that's pretty <laughs> much the plot right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually I haven't actually seen it yet. I've, I've heard a lot of things about it, though. So yeah, it, it's it's quite entertaining, and I'm not a developer, so I'm sure <laughs> I'm missing like 60% of the jokes, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, you just have, you know, self-important crybabies. I mean, everyone can identify with that at least some point in their life, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the, not, not to beat a dead horse or anything, but that's ex- exactly the kind of um, sentiment and attitude that we're trying to not replicate with ArcOS. I mean, I could have just as easily moved to San Francisco and made a whole lot of money doing this. And I might have even had more success in doing it in terms of the amount of things that we're able to do with it. But we chose not to do that, and we're choosing on a continual basis not to do that simply because our users should be the ones that have the right to say this is what we should do and this is what we should not do. It's as simple as that. So for that reason, we're not going to be doing, you know, making a million dollars from VCs or something like that because if we were to do that, then we would have to give a significant amount of control over to, you know, people that aren't using our software and we just don't think that's right. So what is, uh, do you, hmm, what do you say to someone uh, who who uh, who's like a naysayer? I mean, I, I was looking at the, for instance, I really like the uh, free of the cloud page on the ArcOS site. Um, mm-hmm. But I was just curious, like, how does Jacob convince people like they need ArcOS when you have like you know apathetic folks or people who say, you know what, I don't care if Google knows where I eat and where I shop yeah. or Facebook. You know, do you have like a really good? 
uh, argument or are you just like, you know what, I'll never convince these people, so I'm not going to waste my energy? Yeah. Well, I find that like even with the most hardcore apathetic person, if you talk to them enough about this kind of thing, if you explain it to them in terms that they can understand, eventually they'll either come around or they'll be able to accept you know, the things that you're saying. That doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to get every single person in the world to use Tor or ArcOS. It's, I mean, it's just not possible, right? I mean, there's a certain amount of people that are extremely lazy or they, they just really legitimately don't care. But I mean, what I found, at least personally, in talking to a lot of people is that they think they don't care. And they think they don't care because they evaluate the costs in their mind and they say, wow, I mean, if I wanted to change this, if I wanted to use a service that you know, respected my privacy and held my values at heart and all of this, I would have to spend so much time and money so that it would be an impact on my life and I can't have that. So you not only need to be able to create services that don't impact people's lives in you know, the amount of time that they have to take and set it up and so on, um, but you also have to be able to explain it to them that, look, this is something that's a heck of a lot easier for you and it respects your privacy, like I said before. So it, it takes away basically any argument that they could use against it. Fair enough, yeah. I see that. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, like, you're not going to convert everyone. That, that's completely understandable. It's just it's sometimes when you start talking privacy, I feel like it's almost becoming like talking religion or politics with people because sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to walk away because you're, 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 <laughs> yeah. you're not understanding your own basic rights. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I mean, that's, like I said before, it's, it's, it's a bit of making it easier for them to accept it because it's not really people's natural state to accept things like that. I mean, how, think about how long it took for the co- personal computer to catch on. I mean, in in the terms of an epoch, right? It's really not that long. I mean, computers catched on, re- caught on, really quick. But things like this, people are always apprehensive about. So you need to take that into stride. Also, another thing that's really important is that the more people that start to use services like this, services that either respect people's privacy um, or secure them better against, uh, you know surveillance organizations or or marketing companies and so on, Um, the more people that use that, the more that these companies and organizations are going to say say to themselves, well, look, we can't spy on people the way that we used to be able to before. So either we're going to need to come up with new methods or we're going to abandon those other old methods. It's kind of like spammers, right? Every three to five years, you see that there's a different meme when it comes to spam, right? There's a different kind of targeting method that they use to get you to click on things, and they will eventually abandon old ones. So the more people that you get using these new kinds of services that secure them better and that are decentralized and so on, um, the less that surveillance companies are going to want to use older kind of methods to go after people, so to speak. I recognize that I'm being very you know, vague and over-encompassing with that kind of statement. I can explain it later if you like, but it's just the way that I talk sometimes. <laughs> but, but as I was saying before, the, the, less that, the less people in bulk that use those kinds of things, the less that is going to become a target. So that means that even if you still have stragglers that still use services like that, it's going to make them safer in the end. I hope that makes sense. Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to I tend to ramble a bit, and especially about topics like this, because I mean it's so it's extremely important to me that it, it's sometimes difficult to get things out in a very clear manner. But I'm sure I mean you know, everyone has that kind of problem. So. It's true. I, I tend to ramble on. It's not as eloquent as what you say. <laughs> it's, it's usually about a bad TV show that no one's watched or The Last Starfighter. <laughs> In some cases, both. At the same time. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So uh, what I was kind of curious about, uh, something I thought I'd start asking guests, is a question that's probably not terribly easy to answer, but mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of success uh, for people these days in our digital age is um, having a good network. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just wondered if you have any like strategies about building a network or... You know, it sounds kind of dry to say that, but, uh, you know, you've been successful with your ArcOS campaign and, uh, you know, this is like your job now. Yep. Do you have any advice for listeners or folks like me? Like we're just starting out doing Montreal sauce. What are some good ways that you'd use to grow an audience or did you just have a lot of good friends and a lot of good luck? <laughs> well, I mean, to, to be completely honest with you, it was a lot of luck. I mean, that, that played a really huge part in it. Um, I remember I started ArcOS probably back in April of last year, and um, well, closer to February, but April was our first release, I think. And um, I did a ton of work over it, on it over the past year. There was a ton of milestones that we added, um, things that we still haven't reached. But over the past year, I've kind of created the the vision, the long term vision, and the roadmap that we're going to take to get there. And I did a lot of work to get that done. And it wasn't really until October-ish that we started to have a good amount of pickup. Uh, And that was right before we did the crowdfunding campaign. So uh, we did a crowdfunding campaign in November of last year. And um, I raised $50,000, $53,065, I think is the exact total, (laughs) um, to pursue continuing to work on this project for a year. And when I was starting out to do that crowdfunding campaign, it was, I, you know, of course I was very optimistic in my mind, but I was, um, after the first few days, I was like, hmm, this seems to be catching off, but maybe I um, underestimated the reach that we have in the, in, the, in the early days, right? Is there any way that we're ever going to come close to the $45,000, which was our original goal? Um, but... What really made it work, I think, was having something that we could show, like a, a working model of what we wanted to wanted it to be, even if it wasn't anywhere close to what it was you know, going to be when it hits 1.0. Sure. Um, so having a working model plus um, being able to have a clear and defined roadmap for people saying, okay, this is what we have now, but this is what it's going to be if you give us this money. And... Then the last thing is, of course, like I mentioned before, the luck. So I sent out probably hundreds of emails to different media sources, and it only took one. It only took um, the, I think it was the executive editor of, oh gosh, what's it, Adventure Beat. And that was the thing that really started to drive users. And of course, once other media sites saw that, oh, 
this person is reporting on this, I should probably report on it too. Then a whole bunch of other sources came and that just, you know, kind of made it take off exponentially. So, so what I would say is yes, it takes luck, but it also takes a very clear roadmap, a lot of preparation and something that you already have that already works well. If you, you want to be able to succeed at, you know, whether it's raising money, like I just explained with the Kickstarter, because that also translated into, you know, users and people who subscribe to our forums and say, hey, I'm using the software um, or anything else. No, you make an excellent point is we, so like our culture is like so uh, focused on what uh, I would use, you used to call the 15 minutes of fame. It's more like five seconds these days, but yeah. uh but it's um, there's always a story behind success, and it always starts with hard work. And no one, no one ever, you know, we always sort of gravitate to these like ridiculous stories. Like, um, I think if you look back now, you wouldn't really necessarily call it as well. Maybe, yeah, I guess I'm being mean. I was going to say you wouldn't call Baywatch Nights a success, but apparently. <laughs> Apparently, the actress on that show, who I think might be on Rizzoli and Isles, I don't know, some other show I don't watch, but I believe that actress like actually met Hasselhoff like on an airplane in a flight, and that's how she got the job. It wasn't like hard work necessarily, but I don't know her story. She could have been like, know, in maybe commercials. She, maybe she worked really hard to get the plane ticket because she was always thinking in advance, yeah, I'm going to sit with him. That's true. I mean, like, if I knew Hasselhoff was going to be on a plane, <laughs> I would work really hard. I would just fly on that same plane for a month. One of these days, he has to go home, right? <laughs> I'm going to totally hassle the Hoff. It's going to be awesome. Boom. Show title. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I... I think that the 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 interesting thing um so a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned about um building a network mm-hmm. is a lot of the stuff that is applicable to building, you know, a good solid Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign where um you have a clear uh whether it's a proof of concept or a working, you know, working example, um you've got a clear roadmap. Um you're instilling confidence in the people who are your potential investors, really, um, that they uh, that they're actually going to see something for their investment, but also that you have the competency to pull this off and pull it off well the the way that that they would expect. Um, and I think that the dynamic that that creates with that audience you end up building is then. They have a little bit of expectations, but because they're invested, they also really want to see your success. And that, I I think, has translated to a very positive community surrounding ArcOS. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somebody who's read uh, at least some of, not the entire thing, but some of uh, the book uh, The Art of Community by John O'Bacon, who was um, involved in uh, – in, community at the uh, Ubuntu project canonical um, and uh, I think that that building a community around your open source project is really the way that you're gonna see it continue to take off and maybe that's something you can talk about a little bit too yeah I mean I totally agree and it's not like I don't know if I made it seem easy because it's not easy it, it's it's really not to um, you got to get people enrolled in your idea, and like you said, 
want to invest not just their money in it, which is important, but themselves. Yeah. You know? It's it's extremely easy to get someone to look at a website for five minutes and say, oh, hey, this is cool. I'm going to download it and try it out. And then they leave it. And then nothing ever becomes of it. They don't become part of the community. They don't visit the forums. They don't do this. They don't do that. And it's really easy to do something like that. But in order to pull somebody in and make them a contributing member of a community, um, you really have to have a good roadmap to make them want to come back. Say, okay, this thing might not work perfectly right now, and that might be one of the reasons why you wanted to leave before, and I'm sorry about that. But in in just a couple of weeks, there's going to be this really awesome thing. So why don't you come back and see how that's going to be, because that's going to be pretty cool. So... So that's I, I think it's it's kind of like stringing people along, I guess. But it's using that phrase seems kind of negative to me because you string people along, but you give them actually what you're what you're trying to to uh, to bring them into to get for. I guess right, right. You've got a you've got a destination in mind. It's not stringing people along in the sense <laughs> yeah, that you're yeah. just pulling them, but you're not actually going anywhere. It's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and once you have once you have people that can identify that oh this is an awesome thing and and it's a, it's a good idea and it's going places then they're obviously going to be a lot more willing to learn more about it and that with that comes I'm going to become a member of the forums I'm going to become a member of the mailing list I'm going to support it in the future whether it comes to you know hey if they have a poll that they need input on I'm going to you know answer it or or whatever it just makes that thing stick in the back of your mind a lot better if you're able to be visu- a visually attractive to get them to try something for the first time um and then b give them more promises of things to come so that you know they can have a reason to come back later and not forget about you you know it's kind of like yep drugs in this <laughs> <laughs> here's your shot of uh here's your shot of serotonin yes don't forget to come back and it's going to be great in the future yeah well and see and i think <laughs> uh, sort of uh, going with the drug problem is I think a lot of um, companies get caught up in sort of exactly what you're saying like they get caught up in like let's keep pushing new things and then you get like bloat you know not that I'm saying you're headed there but I think some people like lose their end goal because they don't have a good roadmap, and then it's like oh yeah you know like now at Google, you, you know, we can also hold all your recipes. And it's like, okay, I don't need that. I don't want this on my page right now. You know, like I eat out. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know what cooking is. No, but I, I, I think that a lot, that is also partially due to the fact that everyone's continuously looking for the next big thing because everyone continuously needs to support their absurdly huge amount of overhead and overvalued business model that they have. I mean, there's absolutely no shame in looking to do one thing well and then just leaving it at that. You know, exactly. you don't necessarily need to be on a model of perpetual growth. If you find your thing and you're good at it, that's your niche, right? Just stay there. You know, you don't need to become this huge corporation and sell out. Just find your thing that you're good at and stay there. That's it. And you know, it's funny because I'm often uh, on this. I'm on this half of the show. I'm also mm-hmm. often the. Uh, um, oh, boo, Apple! Even though I use Apple products, as right. Paul is like, oh, yay, Apple! But the other True. day, I was, yes. I was thinking the other day, like, 
Apple is actually a semi-decent example of kind of doing one thing well. They're sort of like the Porsche of computers because they don't really care to sell like a computer to every man. They just want to sell to their particular people, you know, Uh, if you sort of ignore the $99 plastic iPhone colored ones. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, which even most, those aren't ninety nine dollars in a lot of countries. I mean, there's a lot of right. places where that's still an expensive phone. Yeah. So I mean, Apple is kind of like they're like this is our niche and this is where we want to be. I mean, obviously they're much bigger than that, but that that got me through the day the other day when I was using an Apple product. So I like that argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I I don't judge. You know, if someone wants to use <laughs> someone wants to use an iPhone, I don't call you a chump. You know, and a lot of that's it's kind of unfortunate, and I think it's one of the things that makes people another one of those things that makes people look at people who like to use free software or or adopt other platforms as being kind of assholes a little bit is because a lot of the times we have a tendency to look at people and say, oh look, you know, you're you know, a lesser person because you want to use something that's easier for you. What's wrong with you, right? So, I mean, I—that's what I do my best, and especially that's the same thing I do when I try to convert people. I guess try to get people to use things that respect their privacy and respect their rights a bit more. Not necessarily say you're stupid for using this. Try using this other thing. Just say, you know, here's this one thing. But this other thing is way better. You know, maybe you should try to use it. Don't insult people's intelligence, or you know, just trying to make them seem like a bad person because that's obviously the opposite way that you, that you want to go about it. And unfortunately, we see a lot of that in, in, this, in these circles. Oh, no, I'm the exact opposite. I'm, I'm the kind of person who's like, I listen to bands that you've never heard of because they aren't, don't exist yet. <laughs> yeah. so, this is why You're I You're a time-traveling uh, hipster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, once ArcOS like completely blows up, I can't use it anymore. It's too yeah, like it's, mainstream, it's too mainstream. Mainstream, right? Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of ArcOS, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was going to make a joke about it being written in Python, and Python is too mainstream for me. Yes. It has to be written in Haskell. Oh God! <laughs> Boosh. Yeah. I'm sorry. It needs to be written in Smalltalk. <laughs> Make make an entire self hosting operating system in Apple Script, and then we'll talk. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I'll get right on that. <laughs> Hilariously, I was watching an Apple developer video the other night, and they are touting in the latest or in the in the upcoming version of OS X Yosemite. Um, they haven't replaced Apple Script, but they have augmented it with um, the only language that could be a proper successor to Apple Script, which is JavaScript. So oh. now you can do all the same scripting actions that you use Apple Script for with JavaScript. I don't know. I know. <laughs> just use shell, or you could just use a shell script. You know, you could do you know anything, and you don't have to worry about the ridiculous constraints. But, you know, whatever. True. That's just me. I'm, yeah. I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I don't have the Johnny <laughs> Ive magic touch, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so, um, in May, you uh, posted survey results on the ArcOS blog, uh, and it, um, you know, you said you're going to use those results to sort of focus development. Uh, I, 
so I don't think you'll give us any too many spoilers or hints. But uh, what was funny was when I was reading the results, and actually after I took the uh, the survey, I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah, you know, this was pretty easy to set up, but you know, I still have the." I still have the issue of like buying the hardware and finding a place in my home to tuck it away and a hard drive for storage. And I was like, wow. So like an ArcOS data center, like these places, like this company that uses like Mac minis as servers and sells them to people. I'm like, that's a really great idea. I like this idea. And then, you know, I spent like 10 minutes with that idea and I was like, (laughs) that's a centralized service again. Oh shit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that kind of thing has its drawbacks, that's for sure. But our big thing in wanting to offer a service like that, and maybe I should backtrack a little bit and explain what what that question was about, it's it's more of... um, Okay, you can you can install ArcOS on a cheap single board computer, and you can put it in your house if that's what you want to do. Um, but that's not possible for everyone. Like, if your internet speed's too slow, if you have a horrible ISP like Comcast, <laughs> um, not to name names or anything, but Comcast, uh, yes. and, and also and known as wanna, Time Warner Cable, also known as Time Warner Cable, um, <laughs> or you know Rogers, or pretty much any ISP in Canada except for Tech Savvy. <clears throat> Whoa. Um, but if you want to be able to use ArcOS and you have one of those horrible ISPs, then it's going to be a big problem for you, and you might not even be able to do it. So what can we do to offer the ability to people to easily self-host their information in a private and secure way and set it up how they want it um, without having to be locked into X service or Y service? How can we offer all of those benefits to people if they have one of these horrible ISPs? Well, One of the options is to give them um, a private server to do so, a virtual private server. And there's lots of companies out there nowadays that allow you to have virtual private servers with big Linux distributions like Debian and Arch Arch Linux and and so on. Um, I'm thinking of DigitalOcean, which is a really popular one that we use for a lot of our back end. There is also Gandhi and ByteMark and so on. But what do we do? For ArcOS, well, one of the things that we can do is offer a similar service, uh, whereas we offer the ability for people to set up a virtual ArcOS instance and have the knowledge that it's as secure and private as it can possibly be while it's being hosted in a common data center and so that it can have a good connection, good upstream to the internet and so on, You know, a thing that we don't have in a lot of our houses. So... That was our thing. It's it's basically kind of a compromised position, but it's saying, how can we give the best of something to someone when they have these kinds of constraints? You know, it's better that they have access to this kind of thing and have access to these kind of benefits rather than just say, oh, just because there's some you know constraints and it might not be flawless, they shouldn't even have the ability to try. That's not something we wanted to do. So with the survey that you mentioned, Chris, it's kind of we were trying to explore ways in which we could set ourselves up as offering these kinds of services and abilities to people if they didn't have them naturally. No, that's, I'm, I'm glad that you sort of mentioned that sort of like in the same show as you kind of went into why you do what you do, because, um, 
I honestly, I don't remember my survey results, and I hesitate if you pull them up. But uh, <laughs> but I honestly I think like I honestly think I did check that box. Like I was like, that would be really cool for many of the reasons that you mentioned. Like my internet speed might not be that fast because I live in the prairies of Alberta. Yeah. So I noticed, you know, when I was doing ArcOS and some issues that we all know are present uh, with the hungry needs of own cloud that it was kind of slow so yeah. you know i started thinking like maybe i do need to look into you know virtual private server and so i was really interested in that idea and so when i read the page of the results and you had a lot of people who were like 50, you know 60 40 50 50 on like whether that's a good idea i was like oh bummer because i kind yeah. of like that idea to take some of that hardware stuff out of my hands so i can mm-hmm. continue to watch netflix 24 yeah. hours <laughs> yeah, and not yeah, and worry I mean, about my speeds. Yeah, yeah, and and our motivation for doing that kind of survey is basically just we're also looking for ways in which we can support our future operations. So we're looking for services that we might be able to charge a nominal fee for, so that we can continue to develop the open source and completely free operating system in the open. Um, in perpetuity, or at least as long as we can. So we had a bunch of ideas to say, hey, maybe we can do this, maybe we can do that, and this will keep us from having to, you know, sell out to the highest bidder, you know, which is obviously like like I talked about before, <laughs> to a, a large extent, it's not what we want to do. So the virtual private server thing was was one of those options, and it's... um. We, we took a look at the results, and yeah, some of them were negative, some of them were positive, but it's we, we kind of anticipated that, right? It's We didn't expect that everyone who would be using ArcOS now, who would be involved in the community now, which is kind of like a big community of early adopters, we didn't expect um, a large majority of them to want to use these services. But we got a response that was um, positive, positive enough to say this would be a good thing to, tr- to try down the road. So that's definitely what we're going to do once we have the means to do so. And hopefully we'll be able to announce something within the next four to six months on that uh, on that front. Very cool. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, yeah, I can... Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely because you're still sort of in, in this developing community. So mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah, hard to gauge like what a user will be like in a few years yeah. versus these guys who are like hardcore. So Yeah, and we... Uh, that's exactly the spirit in which we looked at the results. Not necessarily in a way to sort of say, "Hey, we can ignore what these people say because you know we know what's right," but because we we took an honest look at you know, who's using our software, you know, what is our community, who is going to be responding to this survey. So we took most of the things that we read with a grain of salt, but. Like I said before, we've already implemented some of the conclusions that we had from this survey. Like because the number one thing that people wanted to see from ArcOS was an easy file sync server option. That was one of the things that we did in zero point six, and that we're gonna that's released in the test package, and we're gonna be releasing to the public very soon. Is an easy file sync plugin that people can use. It's based on SyncThing, SyncThing.net. Go check it out. It's awesome. Um, but because we saw that in the survey, that's one of the things that we implemented. So we're already taking lessons from that, and, and um, we're only going to continue to do so as time goes on. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if uh, if need be, you can always, result, uh, you know, kind of do another funding campaign for potato salad. 
And exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. if we had just said ArcOS is a kind of potato salad, then maybe we would have twice as much money as we, as we do now. Who knows? Hey, thanks for listening. And to my, let's see, geographically left and 2,700 kilometers away would be Paul Delu, Mr. DigiDelu. And you can find him at Paul D on many, many social media formats. And I am Chris. And you can find me at Sick Days. Um, that would be S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S. On Twitter and Cupcake and lots of other things that I probably don't check enough. Again, thanks for listening to Montreal Sauce. This is not NPR.